First Samuel chapter 5. Um, just a little bit of recap as you're typing or as you're turning. Um, last week, as we were in, um, we, we've been working through First Samuel now for a few weeks. Um, and, and what we saw was Israel, right, the people of God, um, whom, right, Jesus comes from. So the reason that we care about their story is because it's our story, even if we're not um, ethnically Jewish, right, if that's not our heritage. Um, spiritually, right, our, our salvation has come from here. And so what we see is Israel actually gets routed by the Philistines. Um, thousands are killed. Um, the Ark of the Covenant, right, which is this, this symbol of God's presence um, that was a, a spiritual thing. Um, it, it was a, a gift to them, was, was taken by the Philistines. And what had happened was basically Israel had decided to, to attempt to weaponize God. They thought they could use God. And so as they were being defeated in battle, knowing it was the hand of God that was defeating them, that they take the Ark of the Covenant out into the battlefield. And they lose, assuming that when it comes out there that they would just win, that they could use God, that they could weaponize Him. And so then what happens is they're routed, they're defeated, the ark is taken, and, a, and, and the Philistines go on into Shiloh, which was the religious side at this time, and they, they destroy it. And I want you to hear as we begin this morning what God says as He's talking about this time in history later on to the prophet Jeremiah. Right. It's again, remember, Israel is going to have a roller coaster of a ride where they're going to have these highs where they are celebrating, they're trusting, they're treasuring God. And then they're going to have these lows where they just begin to be very arrogant and prideful and assume all the good that's come has been by their hands and not by God's. And so as God is speaking to Jeremiah, this is in Jeremiah 7, verse 12, he says, so listen, go now to my place that was in Shiloh, right? Not is, but was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel, right? That what is happening here was, was God's um, punishment. It was his judgment on his people because they are, they're not taking seriously the things of God. Um, Eli and his sons have made a, a sham of the, the priesthood, this is an era of the judges. We're not yet into the monarchy in Israel. And it's just kind of the wild west where it says because they were without a king, because they were not seeing God as king, right, that every man just did as he wanted. And so Israel loses a battle. They lose the ark. Eli falls over, breaking his neck and dies. Shiloh, the religious center, is destroyed. And God says, I did it. Because of your dishonor and your lack of glory for me. And so we were kind of left last week with a pause in the story. It's kind of like, okay, now what? Like Israel's like mortified that they've lost the Ark of the Covenant, right? This thing that reminds them of God's presence, um, of his provision, that it's like the, the footstool in the Holy of Holies, that, that, that the heavens are residing on earth. And so let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 5, because the story continues here. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon, put him back in his place. But when they arose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. 
and the head of Dagon, and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priest of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold in Ashdod to this day. Right, we're going to stop for just a moment. So in, in Judges 16, we have um, the scene of, of Samson being talked about. Samson, right, this, this great warrior who is defeated, and they give credit. We see the Philistines are giving credit to Dagon, right? He's one of their gods. He's not their only god. Um, Dagon is the father of Baal, right, which is maybe a more familiar one if, you've, if you're familiar with the Old Testament story. Dagon is a kind of their military god, a weather god, and it was a god of this region before the Philistines showed up. They were a sea people. They show up and they just kind of adopt all the popular gods of the region into their pantheon. And they're just like, hey, like we'll worship whoever, whatever, if, if they're going to take care of us. And so the idea of what is taking place here is that they're taking the Ark of the Covenant as like the spoils of war. It is a trophy, and they're going to take it into their military god who's now given them victory, they believe, and they're going to set it there as, as, a, as a tribute, as a trophy before Dagon, right? And so you can imagine the jubilation. They, they, they are in, um, descendants of the, Isra- or of, sorry, of the Egyptians. They knew the power of Yahweh, and yet they now believe they have routed them And in this day and age, if you had a nation's God, right, like they have the Ark of the Covenant, it means you have like truly conquered a people. So Israel is thinking, man, we are we're a conquered people. The Philistines are thinking we have we have conquered them and they take the Ark of the Covenant and they set it in their temple and they leave it overnight, believing they have won. They have conquered. Right. They're celebrating their there's jubilation. And what we're going to see now is that, that God is going to say, I don't, I don't need man to fight, fight for me. We're going to see a battle of deities. And so the next morning they go, go in. You can imagine there's been revelry all night. And Dagon, this idol, has fallen over on his face in, in, a, in a prone in worship before the Ark of the Covenant. And they're like, interesting. Let's set him back up. Next morning they come in. And then once again, he's fallen on his face before Yahweh. Except this time the hands on the idol are broken off. The head is cut off. Defeat has occurred. Right? In, in this battle of deities, Yahweh is saying, you think you had me, but you will see who bows to who. And, and, the, and the people are like, okay, wait, what, what is going on here? Like that twice now, it's not an accident that he didn't just fall over. There wasn't an earthquake. He's, he's fallen over and he's been defeated. And so the Philistines had five primary cities um, that made up their region. They had villages around them, but five primary cities. And so we're going to see that there's going to begin to be some confusion as to what needs to take place. Let's pick up in verse 6. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. This is one of the five. And he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines. So these would be the five leaders of the five cities. And said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of Israel be brought around to Gath, a second city. 
So they brought the ark of the, of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron, the third Philistine city. And as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around us the ark of God of Israel to kill us and our people. So they sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Chapter 6. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priest and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what shall we send it to its place. All right. And so what, what we have going on here is like... is. It's almost this like mocking victory tour, right? Because you can imagine we have defeated Israel, our nearest enemy. We're, we're bringing out, we have their God, we have conquered them. And all of a sudden everything breaks loose. And there is sickness, there is panic, there is dread. The people of, of the Philistines are, are getting upset with their leaders going, why are you bringing this thing to us? Like it brings disease and death and panic. And this is like a, the, the author of Samuel is almost mocking the Philistines here saying, you're taking it like you would a, a, a trophy, a spoil of war from city to city to celebrate your military might. And instead what is happening is you are being ruined. You're being ruined. If you noticed, he, he's also kind of mocking Dagon here by saying that, that, remember, they went and picked him up. What do we know what happens when you pick, touch the Ark of the Covenant? You die. Right? Because of the holiness of God. And they're saying, you had to pick your God up and put him back. And he didn't do anything to you until his arms, hands, head were cut off. Remember, because the Philistines had ties to Egypt. Right? They're, they're beginning to have this conversation. Of like, okay, we, we've been through plagues before. We know the stories of the might of this God. Like, is this going to happen to us? Is this coming upon us? What? What are we going to do here? A lot of scholars think that potentially um, the, the disease that was happening was maybe even the bubonic plague, right? Because we'll see later that there were mice involved and the tumors were basically swelling of different parts of the body. We don't know exactly what is being gone, is going on. But what we see consistently in this section is the heavy hand of God upon them. Right? We see this in verse 4. We see this in verse 6. Right? Um, in verse 4, we see right, that Dagon's hands were cut off. And then in 6, in comparison, in contrast to that, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. And then in verse 11, for the hand of God was very heavy there. So he's talking of another city. The, the people of, of the, the Philistines are going, okay, we've got to do something here. This thing is going to destroy us. We don't know what to do. And so they're going to develop um, a process to see if this is a coincidence or if this is from God. Let's continue in verse 3 of chapter 6. So they, they go to the priest and the diviners. And in verse 3, they said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you'll be healed, and it, will, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. 
And they said, what is the guilt offering that we should return to him? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you must make the images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off of you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke. Yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them, and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart, and put it in a box at it, and put in a box at its side the figures of gold which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes on its way to its own land to Beth Shemshish, then it, I did not get that one out right. Then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that has struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. So the men did so, and they took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart in the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors. Okay. So they devise a test. They're like, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a couple cows that have never been yoked, that have calves, right? Because they're going to want to go to their babies. And the, the likelihood that two cows that have never been yoked are going to walk in a straight line anywhere is not great. So like, we're going to do that, and we're going to put the ark, and we're going to put our, our guilt offering, and we're going to put it, and we're just going to let it go. Now, if it returns to the land of Israel, to its rightful place, we will know that the hand of God has been upon us. And if it doesn't, if, it, if they go to their calves, if they go another direction, if they can't decide where to go, then we're going to know that this was a coincidence. This has nothing to do with God at all. And so there's both a heaviness to this section as well as, as kind of humor, right? There's this heaviness of like, man, people are being destroyed. And yet we see, right, that, that Israel is kind of mocking as they remember their history here, what happened to the Philistines, right? This idea of like, it's almost a game of hot potato, right? Of like, we don't want it, you take it. Well, we don't want it, you take it. Let's send it back. Like, we're, they're trying to figure out how do we get rid of this thing without dying? And we see once again, the hand of the Lord being mentioned. We see it in verse five, right? Um, perhaps he will lighten his hand from off of you, off your gods and off your land. Right, saying like he is, his hand is holding us down. His hand has come against us. Then in verse nine, right, we will see if it's he who has done this harm. If not, we will know that it was not his hand that struck us. They're very much wanting to know what is God doing and why is he doing it to us. It's interesting that as they are, are thinking through their history, they go, "Listen, our ancestors, Pharaoh, he hardened his heart. It got worse for him." And they still left. Let's not do that. Like, let's, let's get rid of this now. And let's send a gift along the way. Right? Like, let's just kind of cover our bases. And we're going to make sure this is dealt with and taken care of. And we'll send it back. We'll send some gold with it. And maybe, maybe <coughs> we can just move forward from this. They're not taking into account. They're making graven images. 
right? God's not a big fan of that, right? That they are, they're making things that are detestable, like mice and tumors, right? Like they're, they're doing a lot of wrong things here, but basically the idea is like, can we get rid of this? Like we just want to go back to the way things were. So let's see what the cows do. Pick up in verse 12. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth S along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border. Now the people of Beth S, I'm not going to try it again, were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Beth Shem. I shouldn't try it again. I don't know why I'm doing that. And stopped there. A great stone was there. And they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures. And they set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth S offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on the day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. And he just lists now that there was one for each of their city. Um, The great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua and Beth S. All right. So they, they set it off and the cows. They're just like, we know where we're going. They're lowing, right? They're not fighting each other. They don't turn to the left, to the right. They don't look after their calves. They just take it where it belongs, right? Which is telling the Philistines, hey, God's in control of this. He's the one that's been doing this to us, right? We, we know that it was his hand upon us. And, is it, and so the, they even watch. They're just like, man, we want to be rid of this thing. Okay, they got it. They can't say that we did something wrong with it. And now let's go, right? And this is a people who had just defeated Israel in battle. And they're just like, we want nothing to do with this any longer, And so it arrives at this city, and this is um, a Levite city. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but it it means that it was passed on to the descendants of Aaron, who was the first priest, right? That Aaron's descendants have made up this place, that it's a Levitical city, which is the priesthood. You see this in Joshua 21, 16. It means they they know what should happen here, and they don't handle it well. Right? You're probably going, man, it's first Samuel, I'm not surprised, right? Like things seem to, to shipwreck quickly. Alright? Um, what we'll see happen is it says they, they took the, the burnt offerings, they sacrificed sacrifices on that day. You're like, man, this is great, they're being worshipful. You were if you're gonna offer a burnt offering, it had to be bulls, not cows. Right? They knew this, and yet they throw the cows, right, this convenience from the Philistines on the fire. You'll see this in Leviticus one. They then put the, the, the spoils of war in the Ark of the Covenant on this big rock on display. And yet you'll see in Numbers 4 that the Ark is not to be displayed like that. It is to be covered. It's to be protected. It's to be put away. That it is not to be paraded around like this. So let's see what happens. Look at verse 19 of chapter 6. 
So he struck some of the men at Beth S because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth S said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God and to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirith Jerem saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down, take it up to you. And the men of Kerath Jerem came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Adendab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark of the Lord. And from that day, the ark was lodged at Kerath Jerem a long time past, some 20 years. And all of the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Right? So you see God just like wiping out, devastating the Philistines. It gets back to where it belongs. And you're thinking, okay, the story, we've got a conclusion here. They don't handle it well. And so they die. Right? Like that that it's dangerous to those who are pagans, who are far from God. It's dangerous to those who are near God and yet are not walking in obedience. But are showing contempt. Right? They're, They're taking it as a frivolous thing. And so they ask the question, who can stand, right? Who will mediate? And I want us to think back now to chapters one and two for just a moment, right? Like think of the contrast now that we're six chapters in that Hannah is to the rest of Israel, right? That Hannah goes before the Lord pleading for a child. She's making a vow that if you give me a son, I will give him back to you to serve you. We see her beautiful prayer and her trust that like that Hannah and her family are to be contrasted with Israel, right? We're seeing the impact of what's going on right now, that it's just everybody doing what they want and they know the things of God, but they're not really following the things of God. And so there is devastation. And yet Hannah, right, was faithful. And in her prayer, I want you to listen in chapter two to the, how her prayer ends, This is verse 9 and 10 of chapter 2. The last couple lines of her prayer. She's speaking about God and she says, He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and He will give strength to to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. We just see this like prophetic element to it. Right? His enemies in pieces, Dagon, in his own temple. Right? The, the enemies of the Lord both near and far, meaning enemies of Israel and those who are within Israel who are not trusting God. Right? Are being shattered and broken. That we see that God is in control, that He is sovereign, both of Israel, right? But He's not just their personal God. He is the God of the world. That the Philistines are recognizing He's in control of us, and our gods will actually bow down to Him. <clears throat> and so in verse 20, when they ask the question, Who can stand before God? That is the question we need to ask this morning. Who can stand before His holiness, before His might, before His glory? Who will mediate between us and this God? Right? This is not just a question that Samuel was asking. If you go to Isaiah, we see Isaiah going, when he comes in, right, in in his vision, he's like, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, 
amongst a people of unclean lips. In Amos, the prophetic book, we see God roaring from on high. No, when he's looking at his people's behavior and the way that they're treating the least of these in their communities, their own people who are poor, impoverished, who are broken, they're taking advantage of them. And he's like, that's not me. That is not what I've called you to. That is not what I look like and you are supposed to reflect me. We, we, we have the idea of Jesus's return. And in Paul saying in Philippians that every knee is going to bow to Jesus. They will either bow willingly or like Dagon, right? They will fall because they will see who is the Lord of the earth, who is the Lord of all creation, right? That this idea of who can stand before God is a common theme. Every time we see someone interact, not with God, but with angels, right? They're in in fear and the angels have to say, no, fear not because they're afraid they're going to die. And they're not dealing with God directly, but one of his, right, one of his messengers, this who can stand, this should be the question of our heart this morning. Church, I hope that as you go to 1 Samuel, which can feel foreign and far off as we're 3,000 years removed, God is not merely a little bit better version of you. Right? I think sometimes we think of God and we're like, He's just a perfect me. God is not a perfect you. He is holy. He is eternal. He is other He is glorious and beautiful, and we could spend the rest of the day throwing out words to describe Him, quoting Scripture to describe Him, and we would not begin to scratch the surface of His might and His wonder and His glory. Right? He is holy and separate and glorious from us. And the interesting thing here is that God takes a perceived loss, right? Philistines cheering, chanting, taking the Ark of the Covenant back, laying it as a trophy before Dagon. It looks like a loss for the people of God. It looks like a loss for God. And then Dagon is crushed before God. And we say, oh, no, no, this wasn't a loss. Right? God knew what he was doing. God's God's winning. Right? The Philistines are learning. Israel's learning. This perceived loss was no loss because Dagon and the Philistines were defeated without the lifting of one hand from any Israelite. In church, there's another perceived loss that we that sometimes I think we look at too lightly, and it's at the cross. Where it looks like at the cross that God loses again, right? That his enemies are celebrating, saying, if you are who you say you are, you'll pull yourself off that cross. You could do whatever you want. If you are who you say you are, and they're mocking him, and they're humiliating him, and they're warring against him, and they kill him, and they think victory is ours, God, right? They would have said, God is dead. We've killed him. He wasn't the Messiah. And yet in that, our enemies are defeated, right? The power of sin is broken. Satan is defeated, right? We have hope once again. Our enemies are defeated at the cross. Like we need to see passages like this in Samuel to see things that make us uncomfortable, to see holiness and wrath and and difficulty Because when we say that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God, these are the things we're talking about. This is how God feels about sin. It's how he feels about those who would mock or humiliate, right? Who would take for granted, who would go through the motions, right? Who would offer lip service, who would know the right things and not do the right things. And Jesus then jumps in front of us and he absorbs, he takes the wrath of God and he is crushed and he is killed by God on our behalf.
right? To make us right, to set us right with God. He does it to rescue us, to restore us, to mediate before us. The the question is, who can stand? Jesus can stand. Who will mediate? Jesus will mediate. And so now we have those of us who are sons and daughters of the King, who have trusted this moment at the cross, which is not a loss, but it's a victory, right? That Jesus then takes us and he covers us and he says, God, they're, they're good. They're coming with me. Look at my obedience. Look at my perfection. I've exchanged that for their sin. They're covered in me now that he mediates before us. So church, it means like God loves you, right? That he would go through this, right? Putting his own son to death to bring you back because you cannot mediate for yourself and you cannot stand before a holy God, right? That we have been rescued and redeemed by him. And so one of two things is going to happen. You will stand before God and you will be crushed and you will absorb the wrath of God because you will do it with a, apart from Jesus. And so the stories like First Samuel will feel like your story. Or you will stand before God covered in the blood of Jesus, covered by his sinless perfection. His holiness will be yours and you will be brought in, given access Right? It's why now the fact that we have prayer is such a beautiful and powerful thing that you've been called a son and a daughter of the king and you have access to the throne room of grace. These who would have asked, who can stand before him? And because of Jesus, we get to go before him in prayer. And one day we will be at his table for all of eternity. Right? Like that if, if we only look at the cross, we can forget the holiness of God and think it wasn't that big of a deal what Jesus did. First Samuel reminds us it was a huge deal. The people were fearful of this God who was powerful and wonderful and wrathful and terrifying. So here's where we want to end. Would our prayer this morning be this, that God would give us eyes. That he would give us eyes to see the lesser or false glories in our life that are robbing God of his rightful glory. Right? What is it that our eyes are fixed on that are not Him, that we are giving our time and our attention and our affection to above and beyond Him? Because Eli and his sons knew the right things, the priesthood. They just didn't do them, right? They fed their own bellies instead of honoring God. Church, I, as, as a kid, baseball was my God in every form of the way. In, in watching it and playing it and knowing about it and studying it of what I wanted, it was my God. Until God gave me eyes to see him, right? And he did not take baseball away and say, you know, throw it in the the trash heap and and collapse it. But what he did is he put it in its proper place where it could be this gift, this good thing from him, this thing that I can enjoy, that I could like, but he was God. So listen, the, the lesser glories in our life could be sin. It could be pride. It could be greed. It could be these things that we've built our life on. It could be lesser things, right, that are not sinful, but cannot hold the weight of glory of worship, meaning like family, hobbies, friends, reputation, these things that are not sinful, but if we put all of the weight of glory on them, they cannot begin to contain it, and the heavy hand will crush them. And it would be the grace of God this morning to give your open spiritual eyes to see you have lesser things and you have exalted them above God. You don't have to, some of them, you don't have to give rid. You just have to put them in the proper place. 
that he would open our eyes this morning to see that, that he would crush the Dagons in our life, cut the heads and the hands off, that we would see them rightly and that we would see God rightly and put him in the proper place, giving him glory, giving him our lives, our worship, our our affection, that we would treasure him and put it where it belongs. Church, would we be challenged by the holiness of God and give glory this morning to the mediator who has rescued us and made us right with him? Some of you this morning will simply want to worship Jesus because he has made you right with Jesus. Some of you may go, right now I'm standing and I would be mediating on my own behalf. I don't have Jesus. Our prayer is that he would call you. That you would hear him saying, trust me. Trust my life, my death, my sacrifice, my resurrection is sufficient for you. That you can give all your life and all your glory to Jesus. Because it's, because he's worthy. And his, he can bear the weight of it. Where our families can't, where our hobbies can't, where our sin can't, they will collapse under a weight that they can't carry. So this morning, the band's going to come back up. There'll be some men and women in the back. If you need someone to talk to, to pray with, uh, about things that have gone on this week, things that are heavy on your heart, maybe what it means to, to lay a, a lesser glory down, to see God clearly. Um, You can stand if you want to stand and sing. You can sit if the Spirit is ministering to you. Um, The Lord's Supper is also set up in in three locations at any point during those songs. You can get up. The Lord's Supper, though, is for believers. It's for those who trust that Jesus' life and death and resurrection is what has given them the right to stand before God. Church, it wasn't your behavior. It wasn't your church attendance. It wasn't your morality that's done it. It was Jesus who was crushed for you. And so we can take the bread representative of his body that absorbed the wrath of God so yours doesn't. We can take the juice representative of his blood that was spilt so that yours won't be. And we can say, Jesus, thank you that I can come before the Father of all this morning, giving glory to you, giving my life to you because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. So at any point during those songs, you can go alone with a friend, with family, and take the Lord's Supper. But would we worship and respond to the character and the holiness and the goodness of our God in heaven this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, you are faithful to us. God, in these moments, would we not be quick um, to just move on with knowing the right things, saying the right things? God, but would we allow your spirit to to just pierce us, to reveal things that we are holding on to too tightly, that we have elevated to the level of you in our lives, even though we would know never to say that, that our affection and our time and our treasure is really on those things, even though we can play a pretty good game. God, will we rejoice that we can answer the question of who can stand before this God, knowing that it was you, Jesus, who has mediated on our behalf that you are worthy of all the worship and all the praise and all the glory. And we want to give you that in these moments and in the decisions we make this afternoon and in the life we live this week, God, that you would bore this into us and give us eyes to see you is more than tradition. God, but it is the God of the universe, our rescuer and our savior. In Jesus' name, amen.